you're invited to open your Bible to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes. So we continue this series on living successfully, getting some principles from Scripture and some practical suggestions to help us live the kind of life God wants us to live, the kind of life that deep in our hearts all of us want to live. And we've already talked about the importance of knowing what success is, having identified the appropriate priorities in our life and how to get after those. That we succeed in life by building on our strengths, not our weaknesses. We manage the weaknesses, but we build on the strengths. And to do that means we have to be aware of our blind spots because if we're not, they can they can make a mess of our lives. So know your blind spots and deal with them appropriately. Today, I want us to talk about the importance of making good decisions. Something that... Uh, it's not as easy as you would think it should be. I mean, have you ever made a bad decision? I rest my case. So we're going to talk about the importance of making good decisions and give you some guidelines, some principles, if you will, to help you make good decisions. Have you ever thought about how many choices people face every day, how many decisions the average person makes in a day? What would what, what be your guess? Uh, come on. I don't know how they determine this, but psychologists and others say on average we, we make about 35,000 choices or decisions every day. In fact, we make 227 decisions on average about food. And sometimes it can be like information overload. We just, you know, so there's just so many choices, so many options. What do you do? In ways, we're kind of like a fly. Yeah, think about it. You ever tried to catch a fly with your hand, that pesky little critter? Have you? I mean, they're hard, aren't they? Now, a fly swat's easier, but if you don't have that and you just grab a towel off the shower, I mean, sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not. They're fast. They're fast little boogers, aren't they? They have this mechanism in their brain that enables them to calculate the best direction, the best angle to escape, and, and they're quick. They're good at that, and... And many of you have already figured this out, but somebody got paid money to do this research, and they figured out that the best way to kill a fly, if you don't have a fly swat, is take your two hands and kind of just slowly move them as you get closer, slowly, different, just move them, because the motion of both hands causes that brain in that fly to overload and and, and, and they don't know what to do. This morning we were driving to church and a squirrel ran out in front of us. You ever seen what a squirrel does? Now, I didn't hit it, but the squirrel was lucky. They, they just, you know, and, and flies, I mean, they get, they, so they paralyze. And some even suggest that, that a millisecond before you swat the fly, the overload in its brain causes it to just die. And I think sometimes in, in, in life, and it's, it's even worse today, so much information, I mean, all of, all of these gadgets we have, right? Um, it used to be if somebody contacted you at work uh, after hours, you wouldn't know about it until you got to the office the next day. Now many of us, well, you can't get away from this. And, and it is so prevalent that the general public expects that whenever an email is sent, they expect you to reply within 10 minutes, and if you don't, something's wrong with you. That's a crazy way to live, but that's our world today. And so there's all this stuff, all this information, 
and, and it's made us struggle even more, if you will, at making really good decisions. Then you have the, the whole issue of the development of the brain. Um, we know that the brain is developing well into adulthood. And uh, teenagers and young adults, college students and young adults, their brain is not fully developed yet. We, 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 we know that. There's that uh, part of the brain, the, the amygdala, they call it, that where, where you make quick decisions, where you react, that, that there's a lot of emotion there and you just react. And, and that develops early on, but the frontal cortex where logic and reasoning takes place and where you think before you act develops later. They actually have photographs, if you will, uh, of the brain when decisions are being made, photographs of different ages, teenagers, young adults, older adults. And, and there's a difference in how the brain looks when decisions are being made based on your age. When teenagers and young adults are making decisions, that part of the brain that, that is about uh, reaction, that is about emotions and so on, it, it's active. The part of the brain, the frontal cortex, where reason and logic and thinking is involved is not as active in teenagers and young adults when making decisions as it is in older adults. How many of you ever wonder, why do teenagers do things sometimes that are so rash, so emotional, so impulsive, so irrational, so stupid, so dangerous, right? I mean, as parents, you worry about your kids getting out and just doing something dumb, right? And, and part of it is, is the development of the, of, the, of, the, of the brain. There's um, I read a story a few years ago that something happened in, in, in December. There was this 21-year-old kid, 21-year-old college student, decided he was going that evening to, to drag race on public streets. Okay? That's an impulsive, irrational, not wise decision. And while he was drag racing, he reached speeds in excess of 100 miles an hour in a neighborhood. Hit a car head on. Driven by a 45-year-old woman and had a 72-year-old passenger with her. Both of those women died instantly. He had just killed his mom. Who had picked up a friend of hers, age 72, driving her around to show her the Christmas lights. He lived. She did not. Why do, why do young people make decisions like that that are so dangerous and so risky? A lot of reasons, but part of it is, is this development of the brain. Now, that doesn't mean young people can't make good decisions and can't use logic. They can, but it does mean it's not as natural to them and if you're a younger person, you need to be aware of that. Because what happens in younger people, more of the decisions are made on the basis of impulse and emotion and feelings, not logic and reason. Now, you and I all know some adults who never grew up. And they're older, but they still act like teenagers when it comes to making decisions, correct? Correct. We know from research that uh, alcohol and drugs hinders the development of the frontal cortex, 
where logic and reason and decision-making and thinking before you act takes place. Something to be conscious of, something to be aware of. So there are many things that can affect how we go about making decisions. We, we, we can be affected by our backgrounds and upbringing, by our learnings and experiences in life. So many things come into play. So what I want to do, because this is an important issue, how do you make decisions in life? Because your life, listen, your life is the sum total of the decisions and choices you make. No way around that. So how do we make good decisions? Let me give you some principles. Let me give you just real quickly seven principles, okay? The first one is to what I call live an integrated life. Live an integrated life. Look in Ecclesiastes, if you will, please. Um, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, he says the, the conclusion of this, uh, this whole book that he's written is, is this. Fear God. Notice this. Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. King James translates it, I believe. This is the, the whole duty of man. For God will bring every act to judgment in verse 14, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. The Bible is saying that God is to be a part of every area of your life, that we are to obey his commandments and, and the, the, the truth of God, the teachings of God, the principles of God revealed in Scripture are to impact, to affect every area of our life, those things that are out in the open and those things that are private and secret. There's not one area of our life that is not to be influenced by, impacted by God and what he says. Now, not everybody lives an integrated life where God is a part of all those areas. Many times people live, and, and people who go to church, we're, we're guilty of this sometimes, of living a compartmentalized life. As if here's God and here's my family and here's my work or career and you can put as many circles as you want on there of all these different areas of life and, and, and you'll hear people say when they do something unethical in another area, whether it's work or family, well, yeah, I, don't bring God into this. Don't bring religion into this. You ever said that? Don't bring the Bible into this. You ever said to that? You ever said anything like that? That's a compartmental life, and, and a lot of times people who go to church are guilty of that, where, all right, God, you're here, but now God in this other area, hands off, and we compartmentalize. Each of them is, has their own category, and they, they, there's no overlap. There's no connection. There's no touching. That's a secular approach to life. That's an that's a unbiblical and ungodly. That's a pagan approach to living. An integrated life, the circles overlap. And God touches every one of those other areas of your life. And, and, and it applies to every human being, Ecclesiastes says. It's the duty of every man to obey the commandments of God. Not in some areas, but in every area of life. And so if you're going to make good, de good decisions as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't take the Bible and Jesus and put it on a shelf over here and say that doesn't have anything to do with this part of my life, this area in my life. I've done a lot of counseling over the years, and I'll have people say to me, I know what the Bible says, but still, I want this affair or whatever it is. Compartmentalizing, 
rather than integrating their life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, what do you think it means to say Jesus is Lord? That's more than a slogan. It means he has direction and input and influence on everything in life. So the first principle I would suggest to you is to live an integrated life. Say, God, you are part of everything in my life, and there is nothing where I'm telling you hands off. Not one single thing in my life, God, do I say to you, hands off. You have no say in that area if you want to make godly decisions. Number two, pray. Learn to pray. Learn to pray. And not just asking for what you want, but God, what do you want? Show me, God, what you want. James chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, If any of you lacks wisdom, when we're making decisions, that's the greatest need we have is the wisdom of heaven, the wisdom of God. If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God who gives to all liberally. Notice that. Generously, without reproach. God does not reprimand you when you say, God, I don't know what to do, or God, I don't understand something. God never beats you up because you lack knowledge. He says, ask, because he's eager to generously supply you with his truth, with his guidance, with his inspiration, with his information. So ask. God wants to give it to you. We make, you know, what what was it, 35,000 decisions every day, a lot of information. But you know the truth is there's a handful of decisions we make throughout life that have a huge impact on our lives. Who you date and fall in love with and marry. What career you choose. On and on I could go. There's a, there's a handful of decisions that, man, they shape your destiny. Is that not true? Yeah, there's these thousands and thousands and thousands of daily decisions, but there's a handful of really big ones. And let me ask you, how can we as a follower of Christ make God's will real in our lives when it comes to these big decisions if, if we're not bathing them in prayer? I've shared with you before that when Monisa and I were young, first married, living in Kentucky and the church in Sumter, South Carolina, asked us to come and preach in lieu of a call to be their pastor, neither one of us wanted to go. I didn't. Sumter was too flat. Too much sand. Too many pine trees and not enough hardwoods. Too many gnats. I didn't want to go. And the chairman of that committee, I still remember, he called us at home and said, we want you to come in lieu of a call. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. I said, was it unanimous? Because I was hoping there would be at least one on the committee who was a holdout. And he said, no, it was unanimous. I said, well, let me pray about it. He told me later when he hung up, he turned to his wife, Alice, and said, that preacher's not coming. I did nothing to encourage him. Monisa and I talked, we prayed, we parted, we prayed, and when we got back together, God had just confirmed in both our hearts we were to go to Sumter. And I wonder, where would my life be, where would our life be if we had not prayed and listened to the voice of God in that one significant decision? I can tell you one thing, we would never have been here. There are those big decisions in life 
It's not just the 35,000 we make every day, but those really big decisions in life and praying and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and having that grounded in the Word of God that says, God, my life is going to be integrated with your Lordship, touching on everything, including where I live. Okay? I'm not sure what the whistle is, so you all do your best to ignore it. Number three, ask. When you pray, ask, ask yourself this. God, does this thing that I'm about to do, this decision I'm about to make, is this going to build me up spiritually or is it going to tear me down spiritually? Is it going to strengthen me, help me, or is it going to hinder me and hurt me spiritually? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Am I the only one hearing that whistle? Does anybody know what that is? Hmm? I can keep preaching if y'all can keep listening. Some of you guys go see if y'all can figure out what that is somewhere, but I'm just going to keep preaching. All right. God, does this build me up? Ask yourself that because not everything does. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me. In other words, not everything is wrong. Not everything is necessarily bad, but all things are not helpful. Just because you can do it, have the right to do it does not mean it's the wise thing to do. It, it's not, not always profitable or helpful, and, and it doesn't always edify. Edify means to build up and to encourage. So here's the thing. Just because you are free to do it, just because it may not be sinful, just because it may not be wrong, just because of whatever, that doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. Ask yourself, is this, is this going to build me up, tear me down, or have no effect? And that needs to be a factor in your decision-making. Number, well, let me, let, me give you, let me go back and give you an example of that from years ago in my life. I, I don't watch pro football very much anymore. I, I, my journey started when the Baltimore Colts left Baltimore, moved to Indianapolis. It made me mad, hurt my heart, and I just, that, that started that journey. But it was after I became pastor here. And... Uh, you know, we, we would have Sunday morning services and we would have Sunday night uh, uh, discipleship training classes at 5 and a preaching service at 6. And they always say the best football games for 4 o'clock. And I'd get right into the midst of watching one of those 4 o'clock football games and had to get up before it was over and go to church. And I was getting mad about having to go to church. I was getting up on Sunday nights to have to preach. And did you notice what I just said? To have to? Because I was having to leave that ball game right in the middle of that ball game to come preach. And I thought, you know, that's not very godly of me. I'm, 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 I'm resenting having to be here and preach on Sunday night because I'm missing that ball game. So I made the decision for my spiritual health to give up watching pro football. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with football. There's not. I'm not saying you're wrong if you watch football on Sundays. I'm just saying for me, I had to make the decision that it was not building me up spiritually. It was hurting my spirit and tearing me down. And those kind of decisions are important in life in terms of your spiritual health, the quality of your relationships. So ask yourself, is this building me up or is it tearing me down? Here's number four. Ask yourself this, does it bring me under its power? The more I do this, does it exert some kind of inordinate control or influence on me? 1 Corinthians 6.12, the Bible says all things are lawful. In other words, there's a lot of things we can do. Not everything is bad, but not all things. Notice this, are profitable. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
When you start doing something, does it begin to exert undue influence in your life? You know that uh, no one ever becomes an alcoholic without taking the first drink. No one ever becomes addicted to cigarettes without smoking the first cigarette. No one ever becomes addicted to various drugs without experimenting with the first drug. People get addicted to pornography on the Internet today very easily because they look the first time and it leads to the second time and it leads to the third time and that's an epidemic in our country today. I've dealt with families in this church over the 30 years I've been here who have divorced because the husband became addicted to internet pornography and, and then that led to other things. Is what you're doing, does it have the potential to, to control you, to exert undue influence on your life and lead you down a path you don't want to go? Ask yourself that question. Here's number five. Ask yourself, is my conscience bothered by this? Is my conscience a little bit uneasy? In other words, learn to listen to your gut. Listen to your conscience. Because as a disciple, the Holy Spirit is going to influence your conscience. Listen to his Voice Romans 14, 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. He's talking to a group of Christians in the city of Rome who had a Jewish background before becoming believers in Jesus, and they had all those food laws. And while he is teaching in Romans, there's nothing wrong with eating any of those foods. If it still bothers you, then don't do it because if you do it against your own conscience, then that makes it sinful. It may not be sinful for others, but for you it is because it bothers your conscience. And so ask yourself, am I uneasy about this? Not asking our others, you, are you uneasy about this? Does this bother your conscience? And is your gut telling you, don't do it? All right, and then number six. Here's a sixth principle for making good decisions. Know what you believe and why. And that means as a Christian, feeding yourself, feeding yourself on the Word of God. Feeding yourself on the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 11. Look at this. The Bible says, Your word I have treasured, or the King James says, Hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. And it has that, that double meaning to it, the idea that you put it in there, you bury it, you hide it in your heart, but you treasure it because it's of great worth, it's of great value. And the thing that we are to do that with in our heart, he says, is what? God's Word. How do, how, how do you view God's Word? You, you want to make good decisions as a follower of Christ? How do, you, how do you view God's Word? And, and, and what are you doing to put it in your heart, to put it in your soul, to put it in your conscience? So this, it's there to shape you and guide you when you're making decisions. Psalm 119, verse 105. The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You know, if you're ever outside at night and you have a flashlight and you got a long distance to walk and, and, and you're shining that light, you can't see where you're going to end up yet, can you? 
You just shine it in front of you and you walk where the light illuminates. And then when you get to that place, it's illuminating more in front of you and you keep walking because you know the direction. And ultimately, you, you get there. See, life, is, there's a destination at the end of life, but you, you can't, when you're 25, you can't see 75. And the truth is, for every one of us, whatever our age, even if we're 75, there are things about tomorrow we can't see today. But all we can do is allow the light of God's Word to shine our on our path so we take the next steps in the right direction along the way to where God ultimately is leading us. But if you don't listen to His Word and treasure it and make decisions in light of His Word, you're going to get off God's path. Allow His Word to light your path to get you where you need to go in life. Even if you don't understand everything, even if everything doesn't make sense, even if you can't see the end of the path or the journey, even if you don't know the ultimate outcome, all you need to know is what's, what's the path God has me walking today because God is never going to lead you down a dead-end path. That happens when you stop following His light. So let his light make make it a make make it make the decision in your life that you're going to integrate the word of God into every area of your life. And then here's the last, the seventh principle: make the most important decision that anyone ever makes in life. Joshua 24, 5, 15, Joshua speaking to the to the people. He said, "Choose today whom you're going to serve. All these other gods that everybody else serves." Are you going to serve the culture? You're, you're going to, are you going to serve what's popular? Are you going to serve what's convenient, what's easy, what's simple? He says this for me in my house. We're going to serve whom? Ultimately, to make the kind of decisions God wants us as disciples to make, we have to settle that, that decision. That decision. Are we going to serve the Lord? Are we going to integrate our life? Are we going to serve the Lord and follow His light one step at a time on the path of life that ultimately ends in heaven? One of the preachers I enjoy listening to is Greg Laurie out in California. He grew up in a broken home. When he was eight years old, his mother married a man named Oscar Laurie. That's how he got his name. Oscar Laurie ad adopted Greg, legally made him his son. But later, Greg's mom and Oscar divorced. As Greg Laurie became a man and went into ministry and so on, he lost contact with his adopted father. Greg and his wife, they were flying to New York City for, for, for an event. And he, he knew that his father lived, his adoptive father lived in that area. And so he was thinking that he wanted to make contact with him, but he was a little bit anxious about it, tracked down the number. And when he arrived in New York, he called his adoptive father. 
And his adoptive father, Oscar, invited Greg and his wife over to his house for the weekend to meet his new wife and their kids. And they were having dinner. And Oscar's wife asked Greg Laurie how he happened to become a minister. What happened in his life that led him to be a minister, a preacher? And Greg told her his story. Sitting there with, talking to his, his, his adopted father and his wife, he, uh, he told about being a 17-year-old te- a teenager and lonely. I mean, his mama going through two divorces. He was a lonely, struggling teenager. And he explained how at age 17 he gave his heart to Jesus and invited Jesus into his life. And then that led to ministry and, and so on. Later that evening, his, his, his adopted dad asked him, tomorrow morning, can, can we go for a walk? So that morning, he and his adopted father were walking through the neighborhood and came to this big park. And his dad said to him, he said, I've been thinking all night about what you said last night at the dinner table about inviting Jesus into your life and how it changed you. And I was wondering if you could tell me how to do that. And in this public park, Greg Laurie and his adopted father got on their knees that morning. And Oscar Laurie gave his heart to Jesus and was saved and for the rest of his life lived a dedicated Christian life. See, sometimes God's going to prompt you. Just like Greg Laurie was prompted to contact his adoptive father with whom he'd lost contact after his parents divorced. Sometimes God's going to give you an opportunity at a dinner table to answer a question that talks about Jesus and what he's done in your life. And sometimes God's going to give you an opportunity to walk with someone and tell them how Jesus can be in their life. But the critical thing is, what decision are you going to make when God gives those opportunities? See, if your life is integrated, and Jesus is part of all of it, and his word is, is guiding and influencing everything, and you're asking these good questions, what brings honor to God? What builds me up spiritually? Well, you're going to see the hand of God. You're going to see the direction of God. Sometimes more easily and clearly than other times, but it's there. It's always there. But if you don't want to integrate your life and you want to keep it, you want you want to keep it compartmentalized, you want to keep it segmented, then it's a lot harder to see the hand of God and hear the voice of God. Because you're shoving God out of parts of your life. How do we make good decisions? Let God have every, every, every part of our life. Let's stand and we're going to sing this this hymn. And you're invited to make your way to the altar and get on your knees here at the kneeling bench and, and pray. Talk to your heavenly Father. You're, you're invited to kneel here and pray for others in this service who need to make decisions for Christ. I'm going to be here 
brothers and sisters in Christ who are glad to pray with you and talk with you are going to be here. And I'm inviting you to come to me and others and say, Today, Pastor, I want to commit my life to Jesus and be a follower. Just like Greg Laurie's father did in that park, I want to invite Jesus into my life and become a Christian. Come and let me know that. Others of you need to are wanting to join First Baptist Church or request baptism. Let's sing together. Whatever your decision, you come right now and tell me, share with me what it is.